Now, Birdsong, fun and fascinating talk about the top stories in today's headlines. Birdsong may just be the most qualified talk show host in the business, thanks to his many careers in law, government, and education. Here's your host, Leonard Birdsong. Hello, folks. Birdsong back with you on the radio. So happy to be here. Have my friend EJ with us. We are here to inform you and to entertain you. Hope you like the show today. I think you will. We have some dumb criminal law stories, of course, and we're going to have a guest. But, you know, we always start with the news, the dumb, nope, the good, the bad, and the ugly of the news that we think people want to know about and hear our opinions. We may even have a little story at the end, after our riddles, about some scandals in George Washington's administration many years ago. But let's start it out. EJ, why don't you say hello to him in your French that you like? Uh, bonjour, mes amis. Okay. It Ça sound, va bien? Sounds real good. All right. Our first story, the good. A star is born. I don't know if any of you like tennis out there. I know EJ does. He was a good tennis player. But we have this past weekend the finals of the U.S. Open, and the star that was born is Naomi Osaka, a 20-year-old who was born in Japan and came to the United States when she was three years old. She's now 20. She's the first person of Japanese descent to win a Grand Slam tennis tournament, and uh, she will get $3.8 million for winning that. And who did she beat? She beat Serena Williams. Serena Williams. Her idol. Was her idol. You're absolutely right. And, And when you say Japanese descent, she is a dual citizen. Okay, so you're, you're she right. She's playing for Japan. All right, I didn't know that. I didn't know she was playing for Japan. I know yeah. that she does have dual American, a dual citizenship with Japan and the United States. She grew up, as I understand it, as a fan of Serena Williams. She says uh, there's an article about her that said at five years old she saw Serena Williams play in New York, and when she was in third grade, she did a school report about her idol. So a star is born. Congratulations to her. That's great news. There will be more about tennis because we're going to talk about Serena Williams, too. But right now, let's go on with the good. As I told you, a star was born. The bad. Nope, some more good. It's not bad. This is about Mr. Woodard, Robert, or Bob Woodard is an author. We told you that last week he had a book coming out about the Trump White House. It's not very flattering to the president. However, I want you to know that on Tuesday of the past week, that is the 11th, the book officially went on sale, and that first day 750,000 copies were sold. So many copies were sold, the publisher has to come up with another run of the book. Everywhere it's selling, it's selling out because there are things about the White House and things that are happening. And, um, of course, the Trump administration says it's all lies and it's all fictional. But Mr. Woodward has written 16, 18 books, eight of them on presidents. He does meticulous reporting. He interviews people on tape. He writes his notes. He writes his book. He comes up with some interesting things. The Washington Post published a report 
that was explosive about the book. The book's called Fear, Trump in the White House. One of the things that Woodard has reported on, he says that um, the economic advisor, the then economic advisor, Gary Cohen, stole a letter off Trump's desk that the president planned to sign, pulling the United States from the North American trade, no, pulling the United States from the Korea trade agreement. South Korea. Yep, the South Korea trade agreement. Our friend. Mm Mm-hmm. Cohen later told a colleague that he removed the letter to protect national security and that Trump didn't even notice that it was missing. Trump also failed a practice grilling to prepare him to sit down with special counsel Robert Mueller. His lawyer, John Dowd, said he lied so much that he couldn't have a sit down. If you go in with Mueller, you're going to come out wearing a jumpsuit suit, a an orange jumpsuit, the kind that you wear in prison. The book exposes a lot of things. It exposes the incompetence of this administration. As a matter of fact, the chief of staff, John Kelly, says, we're in crazy town here in the White House. Sounds like it. We're in crazy town. Well, it sounds like he rules by fear for him to, for, uh, the title of the book to be named, so. Yeah, well, that may be. But he said some unflattering things, or people on his staff have said unflattering things about our president. There's a quote that supposedly Mr. Trump said of Jeff Sessions, who's our attorney general, he's mentally retarded. He's a dumb southerner. He couldn't even be a one-person country lawyer down in Alabama. Those are some very tough words. But anyway... I haven't gotten my copy, but I think I'm going to buy it. I don't know about you. You can get a Kindle copy. Well, yeah, I usually get Kindle copies. The book costs $30. You can get it from Amazon.com or other booksellers. It's about uh, 398 pages long. A lot of people are reading it. Well, anyway, good good news for Mr. Woodard. He's making some money off of this at $3 a book. But uh, so those are the good bad news. Bad news for Trump. Well, it's probably bad news for the administration of Donald Trump. He, in my opinion, and this is my opinion, he was not ready to be president of the United States. He doesn't know what it takes to work with people in administration. He's always been his own boss. He has never had a board of directors. He could do anything he wants. Anything he wants, he thinks. Unfortunately, the United States government doesn't work like that. Shouldn't work that way. And shouldn't work like that. So those, though, are the good stories about the star being born, Miss Osaka, and uh, about the Woodard book. Let's talk about some bad. Here's the headline. Ex-Trump campaign advisor gets 14 days. George Papadopoulos, that's who they're talking about. The Trump campaign advisor who triggered the Russia investigation was sentenced to 14 days in prison last Friday. That was the seventh, and um, in he's going to jail. His judge said he had placed his own interest above those of the country. Papadopoulos, you might remember, is the first campaign aide sentenced since special counsel Mueller's ongoing investigation. He said at his sentencing, I made a dreadful mistake, but I'm a good man who is eager for redemption. The punishment was far less than the maximum six-month sentence sought by the government, but also more than the probation 
that Papadopoulos and his lawyers had asked for. Now, 14 days doesn't sound like much, but I know a lot about federal sentencing. I used to do a lot of it, representing clients. He got 14 days in jail. He pled guilty to a felony. He is a felon. He not only has to go to jail for 14 days, that's two weeks, he also has to pay a $9,500 fine, which the government can levy against him, and they've levied him. Also, for a year, he has to go and talk to his probation officer once a week for the next 52 weeks. Now, you think that's bad? There's more, folks. When you are a convicted felon, even if you only got 14 days in jail, you lose some of your civil rights. You cannot vote. I was going to ask that. You cannot vote until you have served your sentence, paid the fine, and finished all the probation the government has set out. Also, as a felon, you cannot have or buy a firearm or a rifle. So, now that's pretty tough. I don't know if he wants to carry guns, but you also, he can't drink to excess and he can't take drugs. Now, probably he doesn't take drugs, but the probation service has random drug tests for people who are on probation. So you might think 14 days is light, but this is a lot he's facing. And I think it's good for him. Well, the purpose of it is what? Deterrence? It's deterrence and, you know. Deter other people. It should deter other people. To not lie to the FBI. Now, he is the first person in Milt Muller's probe to be sentenced. Three other campaign officials, Chairman Paul Manafort, Deputy Campaign Manager Rick Gates, and the National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, who spent all of 27 days in office, have all pleaded guilty. They've all pled guilty, and they will be up for sentencing soon. Paul Manafort was supposed to start his second trial this week, or this past week, in Washington, D.C. However, the judge has curtailed the trial because the prosecution and the defense are trying to work out a plea bargain. So stay tuned. But this is bad news. It's bad news for Mr. Papadopoulos. I don't like to see anyone convicted, but, you know, if you do the crime, you're going to do the time. All right. There's well said. Well said. Okay. All right. Now. I'm not a good tennis player, but I know that EJ is. And we want to talk about some ugly now. The ugly of the week, in my opinion, was the meltdown of Miss Serena Williams. She lost to Naomi Osaka. And uh, she had a meltdown on the court. And there's been a lot of talk about it. Even people who don't follow tennis have views on it. Now, my own view is that she was treated wrongly by the umpire in this this uh, match. But by the same token, I didn't watch all the match, but what I did see, it seemed as if that uh, the young Osaka was teaching the master a lesson with a lot of the shots. That's what it's about. Shots are, are, you know, are important in tennis, and she was out shooting Serena. So I think this is an ugly thing. You are the tennis player, EJ. Tell us about it. What are your final thoughts on the match, EJ? I know that you um, are a good tennis player, and 
you watched the match. You watched all of it, as I understand it. What is your final thoughts on this? My final thought is that next time she should she should warn uh, the U.S. Open that she will not play if this particular umpire is scheduled to uh, to umpire the match. That he's he's strict. He seemed not to be um, happy with her. Uh, other tennis players, male tennis players, have experienced uh, the same kind of rigidity that he demonstrated. And um, one of the tennis players even said if he goes out on the court and she's not there and he's there, he's not coming on. I think that was uh, Nadal. Uh, Nadal, yeah. yes. So um, I think we should give her some slack. All right. We can give her some slack. And what it did, though, this whole thing, this whole flap took away from the win by the 20-year-old Osaka. But I understand that Toyota now wants to sponsor her and Adidas wants to sponsor her. And she has $3.8 million. Yes, and that's right. We should celebrate her. She's uh, Her father is of Haitian descent, her mother Japanese and my understanding is she's been living in Fort Lauderdale since the age of eight. Okay. One more ugly, one more ugly story here and we will take a break. This is the story coming out of Dallas earlier this week, this past week. A Dallas police officer named is Amber Geyer said she thought there was a burglar inside her apartment. The room was unlit. The front door was ajar. And she saw a large silhouette inside, according to court documents. The officer drew her service weapon at the supposed burglar, shouted commands that she said were ignored, and then pulled the trigger not once but twice, killing her neighbor, a man who actually lived there. In other words, she went to the wrong apartment. She lived on the 13th floor, but she went to the 14th floor. Now, she did this after working a straight shift of 15 hours. Maybe she was tired. Maybe she had had a drink. We don't know, but it seems very strange that she went to this apartment, got in, and killed the person. She has now been charged with manslaughter. Mm. Why wasn't she charged with murder? Sounds like she murdered the guy. Well, again, let's talk a little legalistic here. Manslaughter and murder are both unlawful killings of human beings. However... Murder has a high intent. In other words, murder is done knowingly and purposely. Generally, a killing that is manslaughter is done negligently or perhaps recklessly. Okay, you don't have the same state of mind as well as because of that, you don't get punished as much for a murder. You might go to jail for the rest of your life. You might go for 40 years, something like that. Manslaughter, you can get between five and 15 years in many jurisdictions. But I think there's more to this story than meets the eye. Now, this young man was from the Isle of St. Lucia in the Caribbean. He was 26 years old. His name was uh, Botham Jean, and he is a accountant. He has a job. He came to the United States, went to college, became an accountant, worked for a big firm. His wife, his family, he's not married, family does not believe that this was just a mistake or something reckless. We do not know. We know that the grand jury is going to look into this case. Now, maybe once the grand jury investigates, maybe the manslaughter will be up 
to murder. Stay tuned. Hey folks, this is Birdsong back with you. Yeah, we've been talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly news of the week that we wanted to talk about. Very interesting stuff out there. I've got some dumb criminal law stories for you today. Not a lot of them because we've got to cram a lot into this program. So much has been happening. So let me start uh, with some dumb criminal law stories. The first one comes from Arizona today. The headline, she got herself into hot water. That's what the headline reads. An alleged stalker, Jacqueline Adis, 31, was arrested on a Tuesday in May of this year for breaking into a man's Paradise Valley home and taking a bath in his tub. <laughs> Police reveal that Miss Adis of Phoenix was previously charged with harassment after sending the same man more than 65,000 65, adoring and threatening text messages after they went out on one single date. OMG. 65,000 adoring and some threatening text messages. She got herself in hot water, says the headline. Uh-oh. Our second story of this day comes from Arkansas. The headline read, Pippin's 50G Power Grab. Pippin's 50G Power Grab. Let me put some sense on that. It's been reported that thieves made off with two tractors worth more than $50,000 from an Arkansas farm owned by NBA Hall of Famer Scottie Pippen, according to the police. The tractors were stolen from a livestock farm in the town of Hamburg, about 110 miles southeast of Little Rock, Arkansas. Pippen, who is 52, was a Chicago Bulls great basketball player and a six-time NBA champion. He was born in this town of Hamburg. His family is offering a $2,500 reward for information leading to an arrest. So the headline, Pippin's 50G Plower Grab. Isn't that something? How about this story from California? The headline just read, L.S. Don't. L.S. Don't. We learned that Santa Cruz police officers have been warning residents to watch out for highly potent L.S.D., after officers encountered several people running around the town naked and shouting about seeing rainbows and flying unicorns. Oh my <laughs> the department is looking for the LSD supplier. No arrests have been made so far. Can you imagine that, seeing rainbows and flying unicorns? <laughs> they should be looking for the, those suppliers. Well, at any rate. The folks running around nude. Here's one from Colorado. The headline, kaboom. A Denver woman's plot to scam a drug test blew up in her face when a container of urine she was reheating inside a 7-Eleven exploded. 7-Eleven? <laughs> I only read this copy. Angelique Sanchez, 26, was issued a summons for damaging property. Police believe that Sanchez was trying to heat the urine so she could fool drug screeners at a nearby clinic into thinking it was f a fresh sample. Kaboom. <laughs> All right. Don't have as many of these stories today as I usually do. This is going to be the last one for the day. It comes from Florida. Headline, Joyride. A couple stole a motorized shopping cart from a Walmart and took it for a joyride to a nearby bar. 
Jeffrey Sabile, 50, and Santa Marie Walters, 32, were caught on camera driving off in the vehicle in the town of Largo, Florida, according to police. Police later found the cart at Jimmy's Sports Bar where the couple was drinking beer. <laughs> Joyride. <laughs> Those are your dumb criminal law stories for this week. I got some riddles, though, for you. EJ, here's the first one. How do you stop an astronaut's baby from crying? Think about it. I'm not going to tell you the answer right now. How do you stop an astronaut's baby from crying? Second one. Why do scientists have fresh breath? Why do scientists have fresh breaths? Finally, a man told his psychiatrist that he felt like a pair of curtains. What did the psychiatrist say to that? A man told his psychiatrist that he felt like a pair of curtains. What was the psychiatrist's response to that? I'll give you the answer to these at the end of the story. This is Birdsong. We're going to have a guest coming up. Stick with us. There's more to come. Ladies and gentlemen, back with you. EJ's here with me, but we've got our guest on the line. Her name is Dr. Jeannie Sander, and she has a doctorate in spiritual studies, a master's in education, and a bachelor's degree in psychology. She's been on before, and she's a good guest. Today, she's going to talk about why a good marriage doesn't take work. She says, you've probably heard couples say they're working on their relationship. You may even have said it yourself. But working on your marriage is a big mistake, says Dr. Jeannie Sander. Jeannie, this is Birdsong. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? It's so good to well, be I'm, with you again. Well, it's always good to have you here. I'm feeling pretty good. It's a nice day here. I'm interested in what you have to say about a good marriage doesn't take work. Now, I can tell folks that you've been married to your spouse, Laura, for 40 years. Is that right? That is correct. 40 years, March 26th this year. And you say it hasn't taken a lot of work. No, it really hasn't. Uh, and I think maybe it's because of the word work. Um, I prefer the word invest. So we invest in each other, and that doesn't feel like work. <laughs> it feels like fun. All right. Okay. Um, okay. Well, I, I, I can buy that. But what do you say when you say invest? How do you invest? What does it mean? You're not investing money. You're investing time and beliefs. Is that sort of thing? Yes. And support. Um, for instance, when uh, I already had my degree, but Laura didn't. So I invested time and effort to make additional money so that she would have what she needed to be able to get her degree. Then when okay. she got her degree, I wanted to have an acting studio. So then she worked and I was able to cut back on some of the things that I was doing so that I could have my acting studio. Then she wanted to get her master's, so I helped her do that. Then I wanted to get my doctorate, so she helped me do that. So we we really uh, worked at what are what is your dream, you know, and what would you like to accomplish? What would you like to do? And let me do what I can to help you succeed. And then, you know, then I would have what I wanted to do and she would help me succeed. 
So we invested in each other's dreams. And so that's I one, think that sounds that's wonderful. Huge, sounds uh, really wonderful. Yeah, it, yeah. Uh, it worked out really well. She has two master's degrees, and I had uh, my acting studio, and now I have another acting studio. I went back to get my doctorate and left one, so then I can't. So we get to do what we love to do, um, and and we support each other in what that is. Um, now, we both, uh, I love theater, so I love being an actor and director. Laura would never get on the stage, but <laughs> she works backstage or she'll do the program, or she'll help with the set or the props or the whatever. So we're working together, but we're not competing with each other, um, and we're, we're, we support each other in, in that way. So it isn't working at the marriage when we're, when, we're, when we're investing in the other person's dreams and desires, and they're investing in our dreams and desires, then it, it, it's, it's fun. All right, you write about the fact that there are three powerful ways to do this. What are the, the three ways? Is investment one? Is there other another two? Yes, um, and one of them is, you know, rather common, you know, the successful things of, you know, what? how do you define a successful marriage? Are both of you defining a successful marriage the same way? Um, if, you know, if I'm just defining marriage differently than you, then we would have different expectations and disappointment comes only from unfulfilled expectations. So if I go into a marriage expecting one thing and the other person's going into the marriage expecting something else, then we may not meet each other's expectations and that leads to disappointment. So the, the, the practical thing is to sit down and figure out what your what your definitions are and what your ideals are. Um, the other thing is the investment. But the, the third thing is rather radical. Radical. <laughs> but it is something, yeah, radical. I probably have not heard this one before. But it's something that I have believed in uh, all of my life, uh, all of my adult life. And that is that I don't really want to do anything I can't do with love. Hmm. So... Um, and now that means that now if I, if you wanted me to do something and I love you, then I can do it with love without resentment. But if I'm doing something with resentment or out of guilt or out of a sense of should or out of a, you know, obligation, then the gift is tainted. So yeah, I can, I can certainly see that. I mean, I've known people and I've worked with people who feel that they're just, they hate their job. They hate the world, you know, and I've seen that and it's ugly. I mean, ugly. It really is, and it's very sad, and people will stay with it because they feel obligated or they don't know what their other options are. But in a marriage situation, let me give you an example. Okay, so early on I said to Laura, you know, don't do anything for me that you cannot do with love, and I I will treat you the same way, with the same respect. So uh, let's just say, for example, see, I happen to love my back being rubbed. Okay, so if it, you know if I can ever get a back rub, I love it. Uh, now, <laughs> Laura, on the other hand, okay, loves to have her feet tickled. Now, why anybody would want their feet tickled is beyond me. But if that's what she wants, it's okay. But if if I asked her, hey, listen, do you feel like giving me a back rub? I want her to be honest and say, no, I'm not in the mood. I really, I'd really rather not. Then I need to be totally okay with that honor her freedom, honor her honesty, 
and know that when she does give me a back rub, then it is out of love and out of, out, out of a desire to um, give me something that I want. Rather than feeling, well, you know, then I could turn around and say, well, you must not love me if you don't want to give me a back rub when I want to. You, know, you see what I mean? Do you see where that goes? I, I, I so, will see what you mean. And it sounds like these are some powerful <laughs> words. Invest, love, and uh, what do you say? Reciprocal understanding. Yeah, reciprocity. Just, yes, uh, and understand. And respect for the and other respect. person's. Yeah, for, for the other person to live the life they want to live. If I'm asking them to do something and they don't want to do it, then I, I'm not really much of a partner. I'm, I'm more of a, you know, a commander or something. The, the other thing is that I'll share with you that, that I don't have on the list is let's say we have house, housework to do and, and jobs around the house to do. Okay. Now this is, this is kind of funny, but see, if you break it down these ways, then it, then it doesn't, I do not like to hang up laundry. Mm. Now, don't ask me why. I just don't. But I, I, I don't mind you. putting it. <laughs> I don't mind putting it in the washer and then putting it in the dryer. But I just really don't want to hang them up. So Laura doesn't mind hanging up the clothes. So we'll do the laundry together. Well, I'll do the part that she doesn't like, and she'll do the part that I don't like. Sounds so like an assembly line. To do that. Yeah, yeah. It's like an assembly line. Or if I like to wash the dishes, and she'll put them in the dishwasher, whatever. But we figure out. What is it that we can do with joy, and how can we each support the other in doing the tasks around the house or doing with each? It's a matter of support. It's a matter of investing in the other person's life as well as our own. And if both people are choosing to invest in the other person's life, then everybody gets their dream. That is well said, and I'm... I'm glad that you came on. I know that some of this wisdom is in your book, Finding Conditional Love, A Little Piece at a Time, right? Finding Unconditional Love, A Little Piece at a Time, yes. Um, And my name is uh, Jeannie Sanner, and the last name is just like Sinner, only the second letter is an A. But that's Mm -hmm. no reflection on my character. So it's, <laughs> S-A-N-N-E-R, you can get the book yes, on Amazon. That's right. And where else? Amazon. Barnes and Noble? Yep. And Barnes and Noble, sure, yeah. Um, and it's called uh, Finding Unconditional Love, a little piece, and the piece is spelled P-E-A-C-E, right. a little piece at a time. And it's been and doing very well since I since I uh, just got it up recently, so I'm happy well, about I'm, that. I'm glad to hear that. I'll, just for uh, transparency, you sent me a copy of it, and I've read most of it, okay? And I liked it. Well, good. <laughs> good. I'm glad. Jeannie, thank uh, okay, you. Thank well. you for being on Birdsong today. You'll be on again. We have things to talk about. But uh, okay. thank you for today. I've got to move on, okay? Okay. God bless you. Love you. Thank you so much thank for your time. Bye-bye, Ann. Bye. This is Birdsong. We've been speaking to Jeannie Sanner. She has uh, been in a good marriage for 40 years to her partner. And she came up with some ideas to make marriages work without work. We're going to come back, and we have uh, some things at the end of the show that I want to share with you. This is Birdsong. Stay with us. Birdsong back with you. Been quite a show. We talked about the good, the bad, and the ugly of the news. We talked with uh, Dr. 
Jeannie Sanner about making a good marriage. And we talked about a story that uh, came out of Dallas that I just wanted to tell you a little bit more about before I go into this last story. There was a police officer who shot a man who lived in an apartment above the floor she lived on. She shot him with his, her police-issued gun, thinking he was a burglar. She was in the wrong apartment. What I didn't tell you, she's white, he's black. There have been lots of um, people who think that this was something done by the police corruptly. I don't know if that's the fact, but the family of this fellow who was killed, his family's from St. Lucia in the Caribbean, they really want to know what this was all about. Having, ha- having, been, having been a prosecutor and a defense attorney, I know there's more to this story than meets the eye. But anyway, I just wanted to get that in. I usually do a Paul Harvey story at this time, but I have something that I came across that I want you to hear. This is just for historical perspective. There's a fellow who is a a professor emeritus of history at American University in Washington, D.C. His name is Thomas V. DeBacco. He's written a little article that uh, you might want to hear. The headline is Washington, meaning George Washington, a scandal-free president. You can decide. Listen. Mr. Dubaco says, or writes, all the bad press surrounding President Trump's rhetoric and actions in office is record setting. To be sure, every chief executive got a little dirt under his fingernails for allegedly imperfect actions. But Trump makes his predecessors really look good. And the best way to illustrate that is to look at some actual scandals in none other than George Washington's tenure as chief executive. Recall that the first president took his oath of office in April of 1789 in New York City. That was the first capital of the government. Shortly thereafter, he appointed a man by the name of Samuel Francis, a well-known tavern keeper in the city of New York, to be his first steward or chef. Francis had been a staunch revolutionary, and General Washington frequented his tavern even using it for his final military ceremony in 1783, in which he bade farewell to his officers. As the president's chef, Francis was a little on the pricey side, and after George Washington noted his charging in 1790, $3 for a single fish plate, there was howls, and there were responses from the republic or from the public, that this was too pricey. So George Washington fired Mr. Francis. But the president was dissatisfied with his new chef, and after the capital was moved again in 1791 to Philadelphia, Francis was hired again, serving till his retirement in 1794. Mr. DeBacco says, no big deal. Although Washington's first residence in the Big Apple was a borrowed, borrowed house, On Franklin Square, his second was a mansion rented in 1790 on Broadway. Now, this raised some eyebrows. Contemporary descriptions pointed to lavish furnishing. Quote, the tea service was practically massive. The salver, that's the server, was um, 22 inches long by 17 inches wide, and every piece bore the family crest of the George Washington family. $3 
Now, his defenders said there was nothing wrong with this. They were quick to point out that virtually all of the articles of ornament had been brought from Mount Vernon, his plantation in Virginia, to the Big Apple. No big issue. However, another issue arose on August 22nd of 1789 when George Washington, interpreting the constitutional requirement that treaties had to be approved by the Senate, went to the upper house to describe an agreement his administration had made with the who? The Creek Indians. When he finished his presentation, he was startled that one senator had some questions he wanted answered. George Washington complied, but the senator wasn't satisfied and made a motion to send the treaty to a committee for analysis. This did not please George Washington. As a matter of fact, he was quite surprised, and he never made a personal appearance again before the Senate of the United States with respect to getting a treaty passed. Mr. Baco reminds us, nor has any of his successors done that. Again, no big deal. In 1795, George Washington gave his approval to what's called the Jay Treaty, designed to deal with issues left unresolved with Great Britain after the Revolutionary War. The British agreed to abandon the forts they occupied in the Northwestern Territories of the United States, as well as settle some compensation claims for merchant ships they seized, in return for which they received most favored nation status. Now, the opposition party in Congress was led by Thomas Jefferson, who was appalled by, by, by this treaty, this Jay Treaty. As a matter of fact, the Jeffersonian press castigated the president, who wrote that he had been abused by the newspapers more than, quote, any man in history. Does that sound familiar? At any rate, Mr. DeBacco goes on to say, His favorite phony scandal emanating from the Washington administration wasn't revealed until 2010, when the New York Society Library, the oldest lending library in George Washington's time, got around to checking some of its early history. It appeared that the president, on October 5, 1789, personally took out two volumes from the library. The first was entitled Law of Nations. The second was the twelfth volume of a fourteen-volume compilation of debates from the English House of Commons. Now, why the president was interested in these two books, we don't know. But one thing was certain. According to society librarians, George Washington never returned the books. Overdue fines? About $4,577. But no big deal. Now you know. The rest of the story. <laughs> Interesting little historical, historical information from a historian who's a professor emeritus at American University. His name is Thomas V. DeBacco. And an FYI, Francis Tavern is still open today, 300 years old, the oldest restaurant. Isn't that something? Well, that is, I didn't know that. Thank you yeah, for telling. Th- thank you for telling me that. Yeah, I thought it sounded familiar. Right, it's Francis Tavern. Tavern. Francis Tavern. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, let's go. We're running out of time. Let's go to the riddles now. Are you ready? Have you figured out the first one? No, I haven't. All right, listen. How do you stop an astronaut's baby from crying? 
How do you stop an astronaut's baby from crying? You rock it. <laughs> All right, next one. Why do scientists have fresh breath? Why do scientists have fresh breath? Lots of experiments. <laughs> That's right, a lot of experiments. Okay. All right, the last one. What about the man that told his psychiatrist that he felt like a pair of curtains? What did the psychiatrist say to him? Psychiatrist said, pull yourself together. <laughs> I was thinking it was pulled. Yeah, well, I mean, that was easy. You got to think about these things. All right, those are our, uh, our riddles for the day, and it's great being with you. Let's leave you with our thought for the week. Listen, folks, and think about it. Unless you change how you are, you will always have what you've got. Again, unless you change how you are, you will always have what you've got. This is Birdsong. We'll be back with you next week. You want to sign off for us, EJ? Food for thought. Okay, well, a bientôt, mes amis. Uh, au revoir. Okay, that's good French. I will say, au revoir, a bientôt, goodbye. This is Birdsong. We'll be with you next week. Tune in.